back, everybody, to another episode of the HR Revolution or Evolution, whatever way you want to look at it. We're talking about the revolution of HR for the evolution of business today. Uh, we all experienced massive trauma going through the, the pandemic, um, but there also was some silver linings. Um, one of the silver linings is that businesses are starting to wake up to the fact that their employees are their most important asset and starting to look to HR as more of a leader within the business to really kind of figure out and get some of the questions answered that they have, um, where some of the old practices um, that used to be um, successful are no longer really having the same success, such as the sign-on bonus today. And we do that through conversations with Nicole um, and other leaders within the space, so we can all learn from their shared experiences and really try to pick out that intellectual and social capital that Nicole has hiding in her head today. So I wanted to introduce my uh, my host or co-host, Chris Derone. How are you doing today, brother? Great, Kevin. Thank you very much. Again, we've got another exciting episode for all of you today. And as Kevin said, our mission and our passion here is to inform the HR community out there and also help inform and enlighten and educate our HR professionals and practitioners who may be looking to learn something new or upskill themselves. So without further ado, super excited. Our guest today is Nicole Ledich. She is a senior specialist of HR metrics and analytics at NASDAQ. Nicole is a strategic data analyst experienced in working with HR, finance, and operations to transform raw data into impactful data visualizations and clearly explain statistical results. Nicole holds certifications in people analytics, text mining, regression analysis, statistical distribution, and is also a certified senior professional in HR from the Human Resources Certification Institute. Woo, that was a mouthful. On behalf of Kevin and myself, we want to thank you, Nicole, for taking time with us today and welcome you to the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. We're excited to have you. And my first question out of the gate, Nicole, is... Um, what, uh, what was your favorite thing about today that you've done so far? Oh, I would have to say my favorite thing was being able to drop my son off at school. That's one of the benefits of uh, working from home is that I can share that time with him in the morning and still make it back in, at home uh, in time to start my work day. I love that. And I know the feeling now, now being a father. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very important thing. Again, one of those silver linings you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, Kevin. Uh, Nicole, one of the questions we like to ask people is, you know, you're in the car, you know, just maybe you're driving to drop your son off or pick him up. What's the one song that you want to listen to that just gets you into a great mood? You know, if you had to pick one song, what would it be to just Ooh. get you ready and get you, you know, energized? Um, let's see. I would say it would have to be something by Lizzo. I cannot confirm or yes. deny that I listen to Lizzo every morning, but... <laughs> Awesome. That's I, love, I love her she is, and, she, and just her as a person is hilarious she cracks me up I love everything yeah. that that woman does <laughs> one of the things that I wanted to know is if you could drop everything today and then wake up tomorrow with a new skill what would that one skill be Nicole Ooh, that's a great question um, I have always wanted to learn how to be like a top-notch snowboarder Wow. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I tried. Uh, never. <laughs> I was going to ask you, have you tried? Because you never know. I have, yeah, I have tried. Today it, could be the first take. Were you a natural? You were just shredding the mountain just on your first run? I was actually okay. I was really Indeed. good at turning heel side. I just couldn't make those toe side turns. So that was pretty much the end of my snowboarding career. But 
Well, yeah. at least you got on the ski slopes. I, I, I never, I never would because of Sonny Bono's mistake. So yes. Sonny Bono's mistake has kept me off the mountains uh, my whole entire life. So yes. <laughs> the one last thing that I wanted to ask you before we kind of get into uh, the meat and potatoes today is um, understanding, right? If you could write a book, what would you title it and what would it be about? If I could write a book, I think I would title it Be Useful. Um, that's just my general North Star. I think if you are really considering the impact that anything that you're doing is going to have on other people, then you're going to end up providing them with information or with assets or something that's going to be beneficial to them. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Great lead in to where we're headed now. <laughs> so it's not a surprise to look at, you know, your, your expertise and your experience, Nicole, if that's kind of the mindset that you have. Um, so I'd love to know, you know, as we talk about, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, people analytics and its importance today, uh, but just really thinking about the challenges and the opportunities that data presents itself, you know, and we can just look high level. So, you know, coming from a, a data and analytics standpoint, you know, where do you see the biggest opportunity for individuals who may be working in HR, they may be working in finance, you know, they could be working anywhere in the organization, but where is the biggest opportunity today from a data and analytics standpoint to provide that value, value and be useful? I think where I see the biggest opportunity is really telling that story by combining data from different sources so that you can really have a holistic view of what's happening within the organization. Um, and we're seeing that happen more and more now. Previously, things were very siloed, but now there's definitely a movement to say, hey, you can't look at attrition without looking at you know, these other factors. You have to look at internal and external data. So we're definitely seeing that, but I think that we're going to see more of that. And, 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 and do, you, do you anticipate too, uh, we're living in a world where information is everywhere, right? Uh, our information is everywhere and, and people are becoming more and more comfortable with that, right? Um, as long as it promises a better experience, right, for ourselves. Um, and a lot of times when we start talking about data, ethics comes into the conversation. Now, how do you, I guess, how do you uphold and, and what would you say anybody that wants to get involved in data from an ethical standpoint, what are some of the things that you hold near and dear to prevent yourself from kind of going down um, in a direction that you don't want to be in? That is a very timely question. Um, one of the things that, you know, I think a lot about is data governance and also privacy. And you know, there may be some projects that I think would be very useful for the business, but as you said, they may kind of border on getting into employees' personal details a little too much, or just, you know, maybe some things that employees may not be as comfortable sharing. Mm -hmm. So I think having a strong data governance policy is very important. Mm -hmm. Also having a good relationship with your legal team to make sure that whatever projects you're doing are compliant um, I think that's especially true when you think about GDPR, mm -hmm. which is much more restrictive than a lot of the policies that we have here. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that. So, so I think we hit on something and we, as, I, you know, as we were introducing you, we mentioned the text mining. So let's go a little bit deeper into that for someone for, like me who doesn't have you know, a background or experience in it. Um, I kind of could see how we have remote work environments now. We have more people who are working from home and organizations may want to know what's going on at home. What are they doing? How are they spending their time? So um, to your point about having governance, where do you see that line being, being drawn in the sand? 
And as we continue to move forward from a governance standpoint, from a privacy standpoint, how are organizations going to adapt to that, do you think? I think a lot of organizations are still trying to navigate that. Um, there are a number of products out there, just HR tech products that are being used right now, where they're really presenting the data in an aggregated and de-identified way. So employees can still maintain that sense of privacy, but it is also giving organizations a chance to see where there might be potentially pockets of burnout. So are people, you know, working much longer than they used to, even though they're at home? Um, Are people not having the same sort of contact with members of their team? So are they feeling isolated? So I think what's important is that information can be used in a way that's very helpful to both the organization and the employee, but these different tools are making it possible to be done in a way that's not so invasive. I love that. And it's, and it really is important because the employees are leaving more, I, I refer to data as, as breadcrumbs that your employees are kind of leaving you um, that you would then take, pick up and then tell your doctor, right? These are my symptoms. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning when you were kind of talking about what you what you do is the uh, understanding the importance of the siloed approach of old, which is no longer obviously as effective as it was. Um, and you're seeing this more cross collaboration between um, the business units. But I also suspect in the future that you'll see more across industry competitors and information sharing because we've kind of almost seen this mass unionization of employees right now. Um, in essence, they're, they're kind of putting their foot in the ground. They're de- demanding better from employers. Um, but you were talking about the data that you use and to tell that story. And I think that's like one of the most important parts to any people analytics um, functions and departments is really being that translator. Um, how do you get a good sense and understanding about the business and about the operations so you know what data and KPIs that are relevant to the inputs that are necessary for the desired outputs that the business wants? Well, I will say that um, I really ask a lot of questions and have a lot of ongoing conversations. So one of the things that I did when I joined NASDAQ was I went on a listening tour with my manager. I love that line. Oh my God. It it was honestly amazing. And it provided so much value to me as someone new to the organization. So we actually went, we met with the different business unit heads In addition, we also met with members of the different COEs within HR. And so that really gave me an outline of what the key priorities and strategies were. And once I started actually digging into the data and reporting and just, you know, went through all of that information, that gave me additional um, information, additional questions that I could come up with to ask of all of the different stakeholders. And I would really sit down, okay, well, let's look at these career families in your business unit. What's important? What do I need to focus on? And once I had that information, then I could do that double click into, um, you know, those details to see where I could provide more value. Love that. The listening tour. That is, you got to coin that. That's amazing. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we just had our first kind of, you know, insight and aha of the, of the, of the conversation is okay. <laughs> right. How do you do that, you know, regardless of whatever role you're in? I'm thinking that, you know, from a career development standpoint, when you're joining a new organization. So that's fantastic to have that kind of natural curiosity, right? And I think that's, as we talk about building relationships, it's one of the things that we like talking about on the show is HR being able to talk with finance, being able to talk with operations in a way that, you know, everyone's on the same page. So it doesn't just feel like, 
you know, HR, you know, is, is looking for just those, the, the human touch points, but actually understands the business. Um, so along those lines, I think listening is a great point and, and really putting yourself out there to understand what's going on is fantastic. Um, so I, I think that this is helpful um, for those who may be listening, you know, and they, they think about what you're doing now in organizations that may not be that far advanced from a people analytics standpoint. So HR is kind of over the last year or so, and we see it coming forward, you know, well, actually, I should say over the last 20 years, has been saying, you know, what are the right, what's the right data that we should be measuring? What are the types of things we should be working on? So uh, we talk about people analytics strategy and putting one in place. Where, did, where should an organization even begin to start thinking about that, Nicole? What's the most important thing that really we need to get our arms around so we can start putting together some strong stories around our people? Yeah, I think what's most important is you really have to start where you are. So make sure that you have a good understanding of what your basic metrics are. Yeah. Um, look at things like headcount. Are you defining employees the same way across your organization? When you're talking about attrition, you know, are you talking about voluntary and involuntary? So really just concentrating on those foundational metrics and then building from there. And to touch on what you said earlier, it's really important to have those conversations and you have to be useful. Yeah. So you really have to think about what is going to drive the business forward? What information and insights do my leaders need? And how can I pull that together for them in a way that is comprehensive and cohesive and gives them you know, the, um, the insights that they need to act? Your, your obsession with being useful and being valued is, is so helpful because then that's like your intention, right? And then you know where to focus your attention, whether it's the data, whether it's these certain metrics or what analytics need to be run. But I love that, right? And, and that's really where I've seen the most disconnect and why I'm calling for HR practitioners to become more data literate, but also raise their awareness of their business intelligence. And Chris and I refer to it almost like a mini MBA, um, which is required, right? How do we make money? How do we lose money? And where do we spend it? Are three questions that every HR professional should be able to answer pretty quick. Yeah. Chris and I also get a kick out of when we ask HR practitioners and professionals, well, what are the business goals? The answers that you get back tell you that they have not established these types of relationships within the organization to be even brought or privy to the knowledge of what is the business goals and how are we going to get to there. So you answering and asking those questions are so, so powerful. Um, so thank you for sharing that because I think that's a message that we really want the audience to hear is knowing, be bold, you know, go ask those questions. Don't assume anything. Um, one of the things that you uh, talked about was the different, you, you use the word stakeholder instead of shareholder, right? And this is kind of in out in the public right now with uh, the, 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 the e EAP movement or GDP movement. G oh my God, this is all going to come out. But <laughs> that movement, ESG movement that I can't get out of my yeah, head. There you so go. The, yeah. the ESG movement is obviously being thrusted kind of to the value of um, shareholders, or it's no longer a shareholder, it's more of a stakeholder. And the stakeholders are the employees, it's also the environment, it's also the community. And they kind of have all these new um, terminologies. And I think it's great for business. And then from your perspective, the SEC is now changing, obviously, the disclosures, and they want more human capital data. Instead of preventing us from going to another affirmative action check of the box where we're requesting data, how do we prevent it and actually get the use out of this human capital data to improve business behavior? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think one 
thing that we're seeing out of that ESG movement, to your point, is that triple bottom line. It can't be just, you know, making money for the shareholders. We have to do right by our employees. We have to do right by the communities that we work in. And so I think um, just to touch on something that you said earlier, we are seeing a lot more involvement from employees who are willing to voluntarily disclose information mm -hmm. because they know that it will help the organization make better decisions and also meet some of those strategic ESG goals. Love that. Yeah, they're more willing, more willing to share. I love that. And I'm how gonna, do you, and if, okay, uh, one, one thing, just to piggyback off of that, sorry, real quick. But if we're talking about the literacy, right, and we're talking about mandates, my fear, right, is that human capital disclosures are going to be under finance because they're the most comfortable with data, right? Um, and if HR is not prepared for that in some of these organizations, it's going to be another function under finance. How do we start, where would you start an individual's journey in understanding data literacy and storytelling like you shared earlier and the importance of that? Where can they start their journey if, they, if, they're, if they're looking to kind of take that first step? Yeah, I think one thing that's important is that you don't want to become overwhelmed because, you know, there, it can be very challenging to look at data, um, to understand the difference between certain metrics. So what I would suggest is look at publications like the Harvard Business Review. They do a really good job of explaining metrics in a very clear and accessible way. Um, you know, and they tell the story of what's happening with the business and they also tie in that employee component. Also develop relationships with people in finance. Hmm. One of the things that I'm, you know, a very strong proponent of is that you want to have people that you can go to to ask questions in a very safe way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we feel like we have silly questions, so we don't feel comfortable asking. And then, you know, we just kind of live with the fact that maybe we don't know about a certain topic. Mm -hmm. But if you have people that you build relationships with and you can say, listen, I'm going to ask you something. Maybe it's not, you know, the best question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. And you can do so in a non-judgmental yeah. manner. I think having people like that on your side is very important just for any sort of learning and development. Love That's great. It. I want to go back if we could. We, you know, you talked ESG, and you know, I've seen it re referred to as EESG. You know, so it's actually adding the employee, the environment, you know, social and the governance. Um, and we talked. You talked about voluntary disclosures. It's good because we're getting that data now. What if you have an organization where you're not seeing that? So let's say, you know, we're, we're doing a annual inclusion survey, and we're getting very low response rates from it, you know, what, what, what are some steps organizations can take to kind of help employees understand, hey, here's why we're asking for this information, you know, and, and providing a little bit more in order to get a better return on that. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're seeing those low rates, that might be a, a symptom of something that's happening in the organization where people don't feel comfortable providing that information. So from yep. that <laughs> point, I would really try to troubleshoot why that is. Yeah. And sort of root cause and then and then work from there. That's I love good. that. Yeah. And I, I would probably be leaning to believe it's probably on the trust side of things. And they may have been it's, surveyed in the past oh, and they have no idea that where that information is going. <laughs> where, that's what that the space that you also talked about, right? Do they feel comfortable having that conversation or providing that information too? I think it's so important. So. And businesses are trying to figure that out right now too. They don't want to stymie their growth, but by not creating that safe environment, I think is what people are trying to focus on right now. Um, from we're, we're hearing things like mental health 
um, right now, right? And, and it's really a focus of organizations and they're focused on wellness and well-being and, and employees are asking more of employers than ever before, right? They're, they're asking, how are you protecting not only my professional well-being, but also my personal well-being? Um, and, and this brings in the skills conversation, right? Um, the skills that are required um, today are not going to be the same skills that are required two and a half years from now. We're starting to see research that is suggesting that skills are only going to be good for two and a half years. How can organizations and what, I guess, do you feel like data plays a big part in identifying the skills that exist today, the future skills gaps that may, may potentially exist in a year or two from, from a workforce planning perspective? I do. I think that data plays a part, but I think it's also important to have those conversations to understand where employees see themselves in a few years. Um, so it's not enough just to keep track of the skills they have, but you also have to know where they're trying to apply those skills, what they'd like to do in the future. And you really have to use both uh, the quantitative and the qualitative to put it together mm -hmm. to come up with a robust plan. Love that. This is usually where I bring in my question on leadership and management and are, are our people managers skilled enough to have those types of conversations, right? So it's, it's working with organizations to really put in place a process around having robust career conversations to understand aspiration, to understand employability, uh, you know, and, and their engagement levels as well in order to put together that type of framework from a career standpoint. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and I think that's so important now, especially as many organizations are moving to fully remote or fully hybrid, we're going to have to do a lot more to give people managers the tools that they need to build effective teams. Yeah, agreed. And it's going to require new skills. And um, I, I felt like succession before succession planning before was the next person up, not the best person up, right? And, and I felt like that's like when businesses got away from being intentional about their workforce planning, right? It was kind of, okay, you can do the job or you, we think you can do the job. Let's just throw you into the job instead of really preparing and trying to collect as much as that intellectual capital as we're trying to gain from you today before that person left the organization and that's lost for good. Um, one of the things I noticed in your history, right, Nicole, is that you kind of been through a transition yourself. You were in traditional, more tra I would say, more traditional HR positions before, which led you to where you are today. What was that one project or that one thing that you found data to be so valuable that once you got a bite of that apple, you couldn't stop taking bites? Sure. So, yeah, I have an interesting background. So prior to NASDAQ, I worked as an HR business analyst an HR and accounting manager, and also a marketing analyst. And so um, I actually fell into HR when I was planning on making a career change into management accounting. Hmm. And um, the story goes, I joined this small real estate development and construction company as a staff accountant. After I was there for a few months, the, one of the owners approached me and said, hey, do you want to build up our HR function? We haven't had a dedicated person in the role before. Um, so one thing you have to know about me, I am not someone to turn down a challenge. So <laughs> I said, yes, you know, no problem. But what was nice about starting with that blank slate is that I didn't have to make it the typical HR role because I had HR, I had property accounting. I was also in charge of the uh, company's tax abatement process, which was actually critical for um, our real estate development projects. And so I had really a lot of just line of sight into the way, you know, some of our ways of working and how that had direct impact on the bottom line of the business. Mm -hmm. 
And I actually, uh, one of the main projects I started working on was revamping this tax abatement process. So that process um, was completely manual. Um, you were dealing with a lot of city bureaucracy. You'd send in an application, it would go into you know, a black hole. And then it wasn't until you got an angry owner calling about why their tax bill was so high that you, know, you would kind of jump and react. And so that's when I actually sat back and I said, okay, let me process map this. So let me see how this should work end to end. Where are the gaps? I'm going to create a database. So I just did that using Excel and VBA for my proof of concept. Oh. mapped out the entire thing. And then I figured out, okay, well, once we send this application in, we should get a response back within, you know, 60 days or whatever it was. If I don't hear back within 60 days, I'm going to put a flag on that. So then I created this, this whole system where anything that was outside of that KPI, it would get a flag. So we could mm. proactively reach out to the city to get status updates. And then just, we continued to build on that. It ended up getting to the point where I had someone who was reporting to me who she took an interest in, in learning coding. So I said, yeah. So I gave her all the resources she needed. And so what she did was she's like, I'm going to reach out to the city database. I'm going to look for any of our properties that may be flagged for license issues or tax issues. I'm going to reach out to our property owners to get them resolved before, you know, while we're in this pending status from the city. And then that way we really kept everything moving. Wow. And that, that was the rest is history. <laughs> wow. Wow. And that's so odd. That's why I love the people process and technology first. I think uh, when you first look at that, but your, your worldly view is so important. Uh, I think is like understanding the business, but also isn't your degree in like English literature. Yeah. So you it also is. understand like the communication <laughs> side of it and an effective communication, probably how to ask really good questions, but this is all vitally important to know what questions to ask of the data. And this is kind of what Chris and I talk about. Chris doesn't tell you that he, he likes data. He's, he's still a student. <laughs> Um, but we talk about these types of things, and that's kind of one of the things that comes up is knowing what questions to ask of the data, right? Um, and the importance of that, because otherwise it's just numbers on a page. I'll say, Nicole, I think it's it's fascinating, you know, as we have these conversations that when we when we typically talk with people who don't have the traditional, I started in HR, I worked my way up through HR, um, obviously can be very successful using that path. But I just love hearing about, you know, individuals like yourself who had a non-traditional way into it, right? And you were able to almost create, as you said, you know, here's, here's how we're going to run our human resources function, our human capital function, uh, and tailor make it to fit the needs of the business. And I think that that is super refreshing when I hear that, uh, because, you know, a lot of the burnout that we're talking about in HR happens because people are doing these traditional roles and they're doing over and over again. We're seeing that you know, things are changing. So I just want to thank you for sharing your experience. That was fantastic. I guess I would say for those out there, you know, what advice would you give to individuals who may be thinking about their career or watching or listening to this, this episode? You know, what, what career or what advice? And I, obviously they're going to read your book, Be Useful, when it comes out. <laughs> uh, but what other, what other advice would you give them, you know, as they're thinking about maybe where they might be in their career journey? Yeah, I think one thing that's important, um, specifically when you work in a data role, is use the data that you have in front of you because you understand it. Practice with that because you can do that in a safe way. You know what the outputs are supposed to look like. You'll develop that gut reaction uh, in terms of what questions to ask or what looks a little bit odd or off. Um, so just kind of start there. And you don't, I think one of the, um, the things that I notice a lot is that 
people want to jump into the most sophisticated tools. <laughs> and that's not always what's needed. I think just, again, understanding the business, being able to ask really strong questions and understand, okay, so what? Okay, I'm looking at this data, so what? Why should this be important to my, to my stakeholders, to my manager? And if you can communicate those things, that would make you a really strong data professional. Yeah, that's great. And if you're useful, you know, uh, <laughs> that's all. I love, I, love, I love that point that you keep focusing on because it is so important. Um, well, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this, this month is Black History Month. Um, and uh, here, Chris and I are the two white guys interviewing you, Nicole. And um, I really wanted to uh, think about kind of building that transparency in the call for DEI, because DEI, in my opinion, in order for corporations to really build back the trust in corporate America or the working world, um, I felt like they could do that through data and, and the transparency of data. What are your stances on that? And do you feel like well, there's more that we can do and disclose and corporations can share to, again, make more of a difference than the intentions of affirmative action? Yeah, I mean, I think it's such a tricky subject, uh, to be honest. So I know a lot of companies are disclosing, and it really is nice to see that we are making a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. But you also run into situations where at many organizations, you don't have really a lot of diversity. So it's very hard to- But they say they do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, some do, but- And I think the fact, yeah, after 2020, I think everybody did as, the minimal amount as needed in order to say, listen, you know, here's our response. Yeah. Um, throw that on our career page. Yeah, let's throw that on the career page. <laughs> I think it's, I think, you know, it's, it's where do we move from here? Yeah. Okay, great. If that created the awareness, fine okay you know we'll, we'll we'll build off of it from there but it's really okay let's talk about how do we start integrating you know equity inclusion belonging so that you know the diverse population the diverse workforces that we're looking for want to come you know right nice. you have to build in the equity and the inclusion in order to attract that diverse workforce and i think that that's really the challenge that organizations are facing now for sure. Yeah. Well, I think just, you know, you can't manage what you can't measure. So I think number one, start tracking those things is helpful. But, you know, what I think is even more important is that you have to make it a safe place for employees. Just again, having that, that trust for employees to voice their concerns when they feel like there are issues. Um, it's not enough to just say that you have a commitment to DE&I and then just, yeah. you know, really when, you don't act on it. You're not really providing opportunities for advancement for people within your organization. I think, um, you know, as you had mentioned from 2020, there is a lot more sensitivity around that. And we see a lot of organizations are actually making steps toward progress. One thing that my father told me growing up is that progress is slow. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, and I feel like um, we live in a culture where everything is expected to be instantaneous. Yeah, so we are kind of making ground in terms of DEI, but yeah. probably doesn't feel like as fast as it should be. I, I love what you say about it, living in that instantaneous world because everything's kind of built towards that. And then speaking of instantaneous, Netflix, now I get a movie in my room in the second that, that a movie that is tailored to me based off of things I've previously watched, right? Um, and I love that, but I know Netflix and I know some of these other institutions are now starting to disclose what they did within that calendar year from a DE&I perspective. And I really love that, that year-end disclosure. Yeah, what did you do? If you're talking about it and you're doing these things, show us 
show us what you're doing. Um, one of the things that uh, you said um, that I wanted to kind of go back to as we can continue to to evolve and learn in the function, where's where's the white space, right? We're talking about skills only being good, like I mentioned earlier, for two and a half years, but HR practitioners that are wanting to reinvest in themselves, what skills do you think they should be investing in now in order to continue to be successful or more successful in the role? Yeah, I mean, to touch on what you said earlier, just really, again, that mini MBA, understanding the business, I think that's going to be critical. Um, you know, one thing that I focus on really is reading a lot of our corporate communications that will tell you so much in simple language, what the strategy is, what are the key priorities. So just doing just, you know, kind of continuing to do things like that will give you just kind of propel you forward. Um, I also think it's really important for someone who's looking to maybe upskill or reskill, get a mentor or a coach. I cannot advocate for that, you know, strongly enough. Um, that person, if it's an experienced person, can help you with skills development and career pathing. A lot of times they have the breadth of knowledge to be able to tell you, hey, here's what I think, what's next? Hey, let's do a gap analysis on your skills. So what mm -hmm. are your strengths? Where are you trying to go? And how can we get you there? And another uh, thing that I'm a big proponent of is communities of practice. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, I personally, I'm one of the co-leads at Princeton Pi. So it's a Python user group. We meet once a month. Um, what's nice about the group is you have people who are professional Python developers. You have people who use Python for data sciences, data science, and then people who are just Python hobbyists. <laughs> but again, it's a safe space where you can just go and ask whatever you need to. It's a super inclusive group, and no one judges you or just says, "Oh, well, did you go to the? You know, did you read the Python documentation?" No, they'll actually <laughs> take the time to explain it to you. Or um, you know, when it comes to data visualization, another group that I uh, participate in was, is the uh, Storytelling with Data Challenges. So every month they just say, hey, explain this with data. You can pick whatever data set you need, and then you can post your uh, work up there and you get constructive feedback. Wow. So I think just, again, putting yourself in those communities where you can continue to grow and refine your skills is, is critical. That's great. That's great. All right, Nicole, we're looking at the time and we want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to finish with the normal ending question that we usually ask. Um, and we've we've touched on it a little bit, but, you know, nothing is the same as it was, you know, two years ago. And we're continuing to evolve, continuing to change. Um, what do you see as the most, what I, I guess what I'll ask is the most um, interesting opportunity we have now with the future of work and how the future of work has changed and transformed uh, you know, and what are you most excited about as we kind of keep moving forward into this new normal? Yeah, I think if you are a continuous learner or someone who, who loves living in a VUCA environment, like this is the, you know, time yeah. for you to shine. So I think right now we have access to more data than ever before. And HR really is getting that seat at the table where we're able to demonstrate our value. And we just have this opportunity to really propel um, you know, to propel HR forward. That's great. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Nicole, I just want to say thank you so much um, for all the insights that you shared with the audience today. And, and I, I'm geeking out over here. I know I have about <laughs> five pages of notes from, from the conversation today. And uh, we do want to be respectful of your time, but if it, I could, could I ask you one more question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, last question. 
you mentioned it right at the before what Chris asked you, and it was perfect timing. Storytelling, right? Translating. These are the things that we need to get comfortable with if we are working with data and we are in the HR department. What are some what are some tips that you would give from a storytelling perspective with data? And how can they kind of start to get more comfortable with telling that story? Yeah, so what's interesting about me, and I don't know if this is because I was an English major. <laughs> Might be. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if other people do this, but when I'm working on an analysis or a presentation, I'll actually outline it as though I'm writing a story. Yeah. So I'll think about, I'll be really proactive. I'll think about the questions that might come up and then I will map my visualizations to those questions. Love that. I'll make sure that I focus on all of the key insights so that when someone's going through, it's kind of a standalone piece. They know where to focus, what to look at. And, you know, I just really try to ensure that what I'm presenting specifically answers their questions. I love that. Okay. And it's, it's so funny. You mentioned you, you, your college degree. I, I hardly get to use my college degree when I was in more in the sales specific, but like I use the scientific method very similarly to how you use the outline of a story. So it's kind of funny how you use those tools that we were like ingrained in our head. Now, how right. are we using it and apply in the world of data science? It's, it's really cool. So thank you so much. Um, this was fascinating, Nicole. You are a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for all the important work that you're doing. And at the same time, being involved in these communities with other people that are trying to find that white space and their voice and their purpose. Um, I think having great leaders like yourself in that space and they can kind of see that sometimes non-traditional ways into HR are, are, are successful and you can find a lot of success very quickly. So thank you so much for, for, for coming on the show and, and being such a special guest. Great. Thank you. It was great to be here and a wonderful conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.